Today do we have a show for you. It is a very special episode of Rob Observations. In quotes, a a very special episode, just like the very special episode you grew up with of a full house or growing pains or whatever special episodes you remember encountering today is a very special episode where I share with you my undying eternal passion for two very special comic books that came out on a very special summer, the summer of 1977. I'm going to walk you through those comics, what makes them so great, why they mean so much to me, and what put those comics in peril, and how that terrible peril of, of, of those comic books that were compromised uh, opened a door for even more great comics. But I've got all of this to share with you and so much more on today's observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to yet another edition of Rob Observations, where we uh, jam up all the pop culture, all the comic book movies, all of the action films, all of the influences, the cartoons, the games, the action figures. We don't give action figures enough enough time on this uh, on this podcast. Although I've done a couple dedicated action figure themed. We got we got to get back to that. Note note to self. Note to self. Do more action figure stuff uh, in in the future because. That was hugely influential uh, for me and for, I know, another generation, the, the, the G.I. Joe, Thundercats, He-Man guys. Uh, so, so, so note to self, get to that, get to that soon. Today, we are going to jam it all up with comic books. This is uh, a, we're going to call this a very special episode of Rob Observations, a very special episode of Rob Observations because it's going to really be dedicated to a memory of uh, collecting some very special comics and 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 walking you through uh, this experience. And, and I'm sure, the reason I'm sharing this is I know that you guys have these exact same experiences. I know that you guys have these exact same instances where you have a comic book or a story or even an extended run of which these comic books uh, kind of connect, ha- have an extended run uh, that, that, that they have... Uh, they have they're they're part of a of a collection of stories, but they're like the most important kind of chapters or installments in these runs. And I know you guys have this. I know we all do. And 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 this week, in fact, is uh is is an anniversary. I looked at a I've mentioned it to you guys before. A uh, really fun follow for me is a is a uh, is a. Twitter handle called Rack Spinner, also called the Spinner Rack. It's got a registered name and then the the title that they put it under. Um, it's it's so great <laughs> that I'm thinking of buying it. I'm trying I'm trying to you know I I, I you, you'd be surprised. I know some friends who've bought other people's uh, other people's Twitter handles, but it's it's such a great it's such a great uh, 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 reminder every day of what is coming out on any given day. And this week that I'm bringing you this podcast falls into the week of May 17th, 1977. And it blows me away. It absolutely blows me away. Everything that was going down during this particular week and how, how is it possible that two of my very favorite comic books ever came out on that exact same week? And I remember them like they were yesterday and you're going to, you're going to hear 
uh, how I had to kind of fight for the preservation of one copy of this book. So, so the, uh, the, the, you just don't even understand how important this one issue is and how special it is to me. And I know, like I said, I know you guys have comic books. Maybe they came out 10 years ago. Maybe they come, they came out 20 years ago. For me, this is 45 years ago. Now, remember, your host, me, Rob Liefeld, I am 54 years old. Don't care. Don't, love sharing my age. Love being an older guy. Uh, the, 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 the memories of comic books in my youth are, are so um, seared into my my being, my the fiber of who I am. And uh, we're going to visit this adventure that I had with these two particular comics that came out on May 17th, 1977. And you might find some familiar uh, paths traveled during this episode as I lay this all down to you. Um, you might have some similar emotions that you had to a certain comic, or maybe these two are special to you too because you're an old dog like myself. Uh, the bottom line is why this is a very special episode of Rob's Observations is this really is so uh, so part of who I am. It's it's an it's a really integral part of my youth and my memories, and part of the reason that I love and have so much affection for comic books in the first place. So, which comics are these? Well, we can't get to Avengers one sixty two without Avengers one sixty one. Now, here's the deal. If you've listened to the very first episode of my Rob Observations podcast, you'll find that the um, relationship with the comic books, the routine of buying them every month, every week, started with Avengers 141. Other scattered issues of Avengers and Fantastic Four had made their way into my life. Prior to that, my very first the comic, the one that unlocked the imagination for me and showed me what was what was capable, is, um, is Fantastic Four 147. I've shared it many times. Namor bursting up out of the ocean to battle the thing in Human Torch on the cover. It's a fantastic issue drawn by Rich Buckler, illustrated by Joe Sinnott. Could be Len Wein uh, that, that, that drew it. It's not a diss to Len. It's, it's, it's Len, it's Roy, or it's Jerry Conway. At this moment, the bottom line is the images. It's the pictures. I, I, I've said this to you guys so many times. It's the artists that have me falling in love with comics, uh, and, and I will always hold them in much higher regard. Because it's the visuals that create this dynamic with me. And, uh, and, and, and a visual can be interpreted any, any manner of, of way. And, 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 and these artists connected with me over the course of my compassion for comic books. But it was Avengers 141, which was the debut of an artist on the title. Not his first work, but his first work. And it even said, we welcome George Perez. George, obviously, who has recently passed which um, completely blows, and, and, and I have done dedicated podcasts honoring George entire hours, Then I encourage you to listen to those. George, the love affair with George began right there, and it never stopped through his entire career. I view his Avengers work as his most important body of work, which I know is heresy to those of you who think the Titans is the most important, or his second run on, on Avengers, or Avengers JLA, or Wonder Woman, whatever Justice League, somewhere along the line, you're going to have your favorite, and it's going to be different than mine, and I acknowledge that. I get that. The stuff that I am obsessed in regards to George is his Avengers work. It happened to be that, and of course, I'm going to give a writer a, a tons of blow during this episode, um, and, 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 and the thing is, this run that was, so, so to give the, the writer his, his due, is, is Mr. Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter, who was ascending to become the editor-in-chief at the time in an executive branch of Marvel, was also writing 
uh, continuing the writing career that he started as a teenager. As a teenager. He's, I think he's 13 or 14 when he writes his first story for DC Comics, Superboy, Superboy and the Legion. In 1975, 1974, he's still writing the Super, the, the Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. Those, those, those issues are illustrated by Mike Grell, by Dave Cockrum. He then pivots. He, he moves over to Marvel. He uh, inherits the Avengers. And some of his earliest stories are gripping. They are exciting. Uh, they, 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 they pit the Avengers against really uh, uh, formidable threats. The Grim Reaper, uh, Ant-Man, Ultron, introduces the Bride of Ultron, Jocasta. But issues 160, 161, 162 to, to a lot of people, those are some really special, um, hollowed comic books. Issue 161, the Avengers are gathered. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, I got that on a 7-Eleven on, on, on Ball Road, okay, and Euclid. And that was a frequent uh, 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 bike biking destination that I had with my buddies. At that point, uh, that is, that, that's a bike ride, not a skateboard ride. And in, in 1977, I remember... Going into that 7-Eleven, I know exactly where their uh, spinner rack is located. And, and the one thing that, that, that I've actually been put to the test, you actually have to just kind of believe in, in, in my recollection. But one time a retailer said, so you, you, you tell me that you can remember where you bought every comic of all time, and I can. And, 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 and I have maintained that my entire life. One of the things I love about this spinner rack Twitter account, Rack Spinner, is that it recounts, it recounts for you uh, the day, the month, the, the, the season. And I immediately, boom, boom. I, I, I mean, I'm snapping my fingers. Cause man, I just go right back there instantly. Well, April of 1977 spring, spring in Southern California is badass. I mean, the weather here is always great as a kid. It just seemed even fresher and crisper, but it was a Saturday, uh, afternoon, midday that I biked over with my buddies, got a Slurpee, got a candy bar, uh, and and then went over to peruse the spinner rack, and I saw the latest issue of the Avengers. Avengers 140, uh, 161 has the Avengers have, ants are crawling all over them. George Perez did the cover. Uh, Pablos Marco uh, Marcos inked it, and the Ant Man is kind of claiming you know uh, uh, victory over this uh, responsibility over this assault. And you're like, what's going on? The the, the Ant Man is attacking the Avengers. So I cracked this open. I flipped through a few pages. I was absolutely blown away. Um, got the brown bag, uh, fit it, fit, fit, you know, fit the comic book, uh, in the, in the sleeve in my bike and biked home as far as, as fast as I could. And I poured over that issue because the genius of that particular Avengers issue 161. And it was the first time in my memory that I saw Ant-Man as powerful as he was. Ant-Man surprises the Avengers. The opening splash page is Ant-Man and his ants through a vent looking down on the team. It is a fantastic visual. He then uh, springs this sneak attack on the Avengers who are assembled uh, at, at, at the mansion. So, so you know, he is, um, he is launching this all-out assault on them. And again, you're like, Ant-Man. And I'm like, yes, Ant-Man, you have no idea how amazing and how badass this assault is. They are admiring Wonder Man's new costume, which I absolutely love. George Perez did this really cool new costume, and for whatever reason, it only lasted a few issues. I think John Byrne uh, has admitted that he didn't like the costume, so he had it uh, torn off his body uh, in 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 in, in uh, a few issues from now in a battle with a terrific villain they had called Count Nefaria. But the Avengers are standing around on page two. You see, they're all admiring 
Wonder Man's new costume. Wonder Man is key to my love of these two issues, specifically issue 162. So I'm going to give you that, that heads up right now. Well, suddenly, through Iron Man's comms, he is hearing as they're admiring Wonder Man's costume. And it's Captain America, Vision, Iron Man, Scarlet Witch, and Wonder Man. He, he is being spoken to through his comms by Ant-Man, who is communicating through that cool helmet of his, um, that he's confused. And, and, and he's here for the very first official meeting of the Avengers. He's um, demanding where everybody that he recognizes is. Where's Thor? Where's Hulk? Where's Wasp? And they're like, look, calm down. And he's like, don't tell me to calm down. You guys are intruders. He doesn't understand. He de- the Iron Man that he's looking for is the Iron Man that was dressed as Iron Man was in Avengers number one. So he doesn't understand this newly, uh, you know, uh, uh, updated armor that, that Iron Man's wearing. And he certainly, you know, hasn't, they haven't awakened Captain America at, at, at the time that Ant-Man is recalling. Because Cam- Captain America wasn't introduced until issue number four. So he's completely confused, demanding where Thor and Iron Man and Hulk is. And Iron Man's trying to reason with him. And immediately he attacks. And he sends his flying ants straight into Iron Man's armor. Right through the open portals in his eye and mouth slits. And complete, completely overwhelms and takes Iron Man out. Then he starts jumping off keyboards and all around the machinery. And punching Captain America in the face. Because again... When he hurls at you when he's small, he is containing the entire power of when he is six feet tall. So smashing Captain America in the jaw when he is three inches, but carrying the, the full weight of a six-foot man hurts. He then, the, the, the ants start swarming all over Scarlet Witch, going up her legs and her arms. And as any woman that we have ever known, maybe men as well, but men, I, I, I do not have the same, I'll just say, like my wife, I'll keep it safe, like my wife, Joy, she can't stand bugs. And in the same manner, Scarlet, which is freaking up, she's saying, get them off me, get them off me, help. Then uh, I, uh, Wonder Man unwittingly, who is looking to tend to Wanda, Ant-Man is under his foot and flips him and has him, throws him into the floor. Vision uh, is seeing what's going on on the comms in the, in, in, later in the, in, in, in the mansion, and he immediately uh, moves to attack but it is taking everything he can do to keep the ants away from him by he is trying to melt them with his uh, gem positioned on his forehead. Black Panther and and Beast follow Vision in, following that that they see what's going on elsewhere in the mansion. And Ant-Man, it's one of my favorite panels of all time, he explodes upward, he grows in height between them and strikes them, knocking them both down. And it is a fantastic Again, George George's visualization of this entire battle is fantastic. The ants are all over Scarlet Witch's face now. They are they, there is a close up where she is trying to get them off her cheeks, her eyelids. Um, well, he has overwhelmed the Avengers and taken them all down. Ant Man, Iron Man, decommissioned, uh, 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 knocked Captain America down, knocked Black Panther and Beast out. Um, is disrupting Vision. Is disrupting Iron Man. Uh, everyone is trying to tend to Scarlet Witch who is freaking out there on her hair, in her mouth. And then the wasp flies in and she formidably takes on her husband and takes him out. And then she explains that like what just happened in this eight page opener. Why did Ant-Man attack his teammates? But as a kid, let me dwell on the fact that seeing Ant-Man, who I had never regarded as anyone special, anyone with with uh, with tremendous powers and abilities, watching him take out the Avengers was like the super flex of, I clearly have underestimated 
the capabilities of this guy. And kudos to Jim Shooter and George Perez, who collectively created this amazing action sequence, which found, you know, the smallest, the quote unquote least of them, taking out the mightiest of them. Again, striking Iron Man first, then moving on to Cap, then uh, disrupting Scarlet, which who is the most powerful one of, of all of them. And, and, and overwhelming her so she can't even think to cast a spell because she has hundreds of ants crawling all over her. Eventually, Wasp again takes him down. She arrives in a brand new costume because George loved giving her a new costume each and every uh, uh, installment. And, and John Byrne then continued that exact same practice as they would trade off. If you followed this, Byrne and, and, and uh, John Byrne and George Perez basically were on and off as the artist of the Avengers from 1975 to 1980. They switched back and forth, kind of doing runs and and really important uh, uh, arcs that that helped make this the finest book of its age. I mean, the Avengers, it, this era of the Avengers, in my opinion, uh, reached all new heights. Set before them, which, which which was established out the gate by Jack Kirby, and then the enormous John Buscema and brief Neil Adams runs. But then Perez, John Byrne, back and forth with Jim Shooter, Jerry Conway, David Michelinie is my favorite run of all time. And now, obviously, I have been alive to watch runs that run from 80s to 90s, 90s to 2000s, 2000s to present day. And I am telling you, they are unmatched in their scope, their imagination, the uh, the boundaries that they pushed, the character work. I mean, all the stuff, if you are watching what's going on with Doctor Strange in the Mouth of Madness, if you watch uh, WandaVision and loved it, I've covered it intensely on these episodes. There's all manner of WandaVision. I did one on Doctor Strange. Uh, and, and, and everything going on with Scarlet Witch. The bottom line is this was all established in this 1975 to 1980s era, and then they further enhanced it. John Byrne further enhanced it in the late 80s with his West Coast Avengers returning to kind of the evil doc, uh, evil Scarlet Witch that he established in 78, 79, 80. But the, the artistic switch-off here is so powerful. So again, George would do something, John would follow, you know, kind of giving, giving new... Uh, costumes on the Wasp all the time. It's really, it was really fun as a reader. To, oh, there's a new costume. If, if Wasp was showing up and how this affected me, when I was doing Youngblood, I would try and change up the costumes all the time. It was something that affected me. I wanted Shaft and or other characters to always have variations on their costume because growing up, the Wasp was always changing her costume. And, and, and I thought that was su super cool that you couldn't just kind of relax in any of her looks that she was always being changed up. This particular one, this lavender purple costume that George gave her that only appears in this story arc uh, is one of my favorites. I loved it. And, and so Janet Van Dyne, uh, who is the Ant-Man, uh, Ant-Man's, uh, uh, her, her, Janet is his wife. She explains how he was going crazy, that his studies were driving him nuts <clears throat> and that he became dis disoriented. And that is why he ended up at Avengers Mansion. He left her and then she followed his trail of destruction in his personal lab, figuring that he would end up at the mansion and came and dismantled him. They then are deprogramming him later in the issue. They are, you know, trying to understand what's going on with his head and why, you know, uh, you know, Ant-Man has, has, has gone completely and totally bonkers, nuts, mad. And it leads them to, uh, to understand that it, is, it, that, that it is his creation, which in the Marvel Universe, Ultron was the creation of, of, of Ant-Man and of, of, of Hank Pym, okay? 
and uh, and and Ultron shows up. He was being rebooted by Hank Pym and ultimately took control, you know, and and and, and is the one who was responsible for Ant Man attacking them in the first place. He shows up uh, at Avengers Mansion, having already assaulted Wasp and and Beast off camera. And at the end of this issue, Ultron is standing there and he's like, how dare you speak my name? You thought that I was destroyed. And he's like, I'm back. I have been recreated and I have mentally enslaved pawns uh, that I arranged for in advance. Again, um, referring to how he took over Hank Pym's mind, causing him to go mad and have this first strike on the Avengers. Vision leaps into battle. uh, The first one to leap into battle at the conclusion of 161. By the uh, Ultron just drops him, anticipating him, gives him this giant blast from his head, and just he says, uh, "Your diamond hardness cannot save you from the searing agony of your death." I mean, just a death drop. Drops Vision and uh, Iron Man, Wonder Man, Black Panther, and Cap roar into battle as as Wanda is standing over the collapsed form of of uh, of Ultron. Ultron just takes them all out. He drops Iron Man in three panels. He drops Wonder Man. It is Wanda who steps forward and identifies herself. She, she calls uh, Ultron an idiot and says, I am the absolute most dangerous threat that you will ever have faced. And she she starts with her very powerful uh, hexes and and her, her unique mutant ability, her, 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 her spells, and starts disrupting him. And she he even... Ultron's like, wow, I'm re- my, my my circuits are are short circuit. I'm short circuiting. Um, you know, uh, uh, my, 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 I'm 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 having to regenerate and and repair. And then she drops the ceiling on him. And then, uh, but it's a he falls through multiple holes. Cap goes to look and see what is become of Ultron. And Ultron zaps Cap, and it's uh, right through the head. His bolt goes right through the head. Cap drops. Ultron rises up, immediately blasts Wanda, who isn't preparing it because she's so taken by the fact that Cap, looking down in the hole that she created by dropping the ceiling on Ultron, he gets taken down. He then strikes her. Ant-Man now, you know, kind of comes to his senses, tries to attack Ultron, but Ultron uh, turns on a vacuum cleaner uh, aspect in his finger and sucks him in and then exits. He blasts through the wall, flies into the sky. There... Uh, housekeeper, their their version of you know, uh, uh, you know, Batman has Alfred Jarvis has served the Avengers as their butler, their house butler, um, their English butler uh, for for decades. He walks in, and the last panel of Avengers one sixty one is Jarvis looking over the fallen figures, all unconscious: Cap, Scarlet Witch, Black Panther, Iron Man, Wonder Man. Beast Vision. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven Avengers are down and out. They're gone. Wasp, again, she was assaulted off camera. Something came at her. She's like, no, not you. Screams earlier in the issue, right before they are, um, I mentioned that the Avengers are kind of uh, trying to interrogate and download what's wrong with Hank Pym. They're all standing around him. Wanda had gone off to her private quarters. She's assaulted, so she's gone as well. Seven Avengers are down. The last panel, this dramatic downshot of, of Jarvis entering the room and standing over them. It says, God save us. It says next issue, the bride of Ultron. So check this out. April of 1977. My world is rocked. I've never seen a cliffhanger that riveting. 
these are some really A-list powerful Avengers that Ultron has dropped. And the vision and the battle that I am describing to you is spectacular. And the way, again, Scar- Scarlet Witch comes in roaring, raging, and, and uses her power, but dropping Ultron down a few floors ultimately played to him as he was able to reboot, you know, shake the shrapnel off. Cap veers down. He takes Cap out. Scarlet Witch is so shocked that A, he's still alive, and B, that Cap took the full front of his, you know, assault. He then blasts her while she's in her bewilderment. And again, I've told you he had already taken everybody else down. Boom. Sucks up Hank Pym, who he refers to as his father, and flies away. That's Avengers 161, one of the most exciting standalone. If I praise 162, people remind me how great 161 is because they really do lean on each other. If I praise 161, people praise, remind me, but how great is 162? So here's the deal. May 1977, I remember it well. It's another weekend afternoon. That's when I checked in and was able to get my comics and see what new had come in. I go to the local liquor mart, okay? It is our last couple weeks in the house that we live in on uh, Broadway and Magnolia where it has the famous four stops, the Pizza Hut, the Stater Brothers with the comic books, the 7-Eleven with the comic books, and the liquor store with the comic books. I am in my last throes of what has been a three-year kind of romance with this liquor store because again we've sold our house i know we're moving um several miles away which i'm already concerned about where am i gonna get my comics there but this is the the you know last uh few uh uh weeks because again i remember this so well because all of the tv commercials on all of the tv shows the cartoons whether it's in the morning on saturdays or the prime time have been blasting this new movie coming called star wars it's getting a release in, in, in late May, starting rolling out in, in, uh, in major cities on Memorial Day weekend. So you're getting these TV commercials. I, I encourage you go see those TV commercials. They're so fun. It's like, um, from, a, from beyond the stars, the voice will say. And then it'll show like Luke and Han and Obi-Wan and Chewbacca in the, in the cockpit as they're being, you know, um, um, tractor beamed into the Death Star. And they'll, they'll give you glimpses of Obi-Wan with his lightsaber. And they'll give you glimpses of the droids and some of the um, cantina scene. And it's just, uh, it, it, it's Luke in his Stormtrooper outfit, you know, opening up the cell door and taking his helmet off saying, I'm here to save you um, to Princess Leia. Who, who rises up. I mean, the, the, those those te- television commercials for Star Wars were riveting, but that, that was what was going on in May of 1977. And I knew that we were going to transition. I would see Star Wars uh, as we were transitioning houses for the last week that we were in uh, this house. By June of 1977, we were relocated. We have now lived on a um, 905 South Trident Street, uh, which, which was one of my favorite living situations ever my favorite room growing up my favorite memories because i again locked in locked into that's where down the street is the utotem and up the street is Foodland. and uh between those two major uh outlets i get all my comics and and along the way there's a drugstore that rexel drugs which has great marvel magazines um it's where i get my hulk magazine my 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 uh marvel like warriors of the shadow realm which i've covered on my fantasy episodes. So I'm, I'm transitioning into a good place. I just didn't know it yet. I'm leaving behind this, this hollowed, you know, four corners, this, uh, this cross section of amazing comic book distribution. Okay. And here's the deal. Again, speaking of comic book distribution in the seventies and people who growing up will mention this to you. 
someone like Tom Brevoort, I've read his recollections at the same time, uh, executive editor over at Marvel Comics. We are roughly the same age. We grew up in the same period. He has spoken often of how sometimes the distribution was spotty. You may not get another issue. You may not get... Uh, issue 161 may come out in your area and you may not see another Avengers till 165 because maybe they only got two copies. Those were gotten to before you could reach them. And, you know, they, they, they weren't heavy on, on their, uh, they, they, they weren't heavy on their distribution, uh, whether it was a Seven Eleven or the liquor store or the, or the food land or the Stater brothers, uh, people generally had maybe two to three copies of each of these comics. Um, often you would just get the last one. I would pull the one that was there. I, I, I would, if there was two or three, I would definitely try and get the one that was in the best condition because that matters, right? Well, the story of 162 uh, is going to take a couple twists and turns. That Saturday afternoon, uh, a month later, a month after 161, my heart stopped when at the liquor store. So not the 7-Eleven that I would bike to. That is not a 7-Eleven that was, this is not the 7-Eleven that is on the corner of Magnolia and Broadway. The 7-Eleven that I said I would bike to, that I walked in that Saturday afternoon and got 161. That is up the street on Euclid, kind of a halfway point of where between the Magnolia house and the Trident house or the Broadway house and the Trident house. Cause we actually lived on Broadway. The cross section was Magnolia. Um, this 7-Eleven had the McDonald's and on Saturdays, that's where I was introduced to egg McMuffins, hash browns, uh, that, that was, uh, uh, a really fun, uh, stopping point that my mom would either drive us to, or I could bike to on Saturdays. I would get many future Avengers issues from that specific 7-Eleven and I would get them on Saturday mornings when they were coming out. So that 7-Eleven that I got, 161, is next to the McDonald's, which was really the only McDonald's in our area at the time. So again, any of your McDonald's needs for um, hungry young 9 and 10-year-olds was met <laughs> was met at that McDonald's, whether it was the Big Mac, the birth of the Chicken McNugget, or like I said, man, you guys, egg and sausage McMuffins, they were born in my, in, in my, in my lifetime, in my youth, and, and I cannot tell you how much I craved and enjoyed all of that salty grease. And and look, that was kind of the golden age for, for McDonald's for me. And again, the breakfast was when it was like, oh my gosh, hey, am I ever going to taste a breakfast better than this? Those egg McMuffins, those sausage McMuffins, those hash browns, brother. So again, only in recent times have they have they broken through and, and, and served you breakfast past 1030. But man, that 1030 hard line, again, there's a, uh, I think there's a Michael Douglas movie called Falling Down, and it deals with the fact that they won't give him breakfast past 7:30. Past, um, I think that's a 1989, 1988, maybe 1990 movie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember this as a kid. Like, what do you mean it's 10:45 and I can't get my delicious hash brown and my egg McMuffin? I had things to do. I was held up. Okay, that was a real dilemma for people growing up in the 70s of my of my era. But again, having a major comic book distribution network. Because that 7-Eleven would give me the first part of the, uh, the the first two parts of the Korvac saga I would encounter on Saturday mornings too, which are uh, Avengers 167 and Avengers 168. So again, hang with me, or maybe it's 165. No, it's 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 167 and 168. So at my liquor store, I swing in. Okay, what you hear here is the Mylar that I'm going to take my copy. My um, th this is the 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 surviving copy of 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 my youth. Uh, and you're gonna, you're gonna, you won't even understand how much this the, these books went through. Pulling it out really fast so it doesn't get the tape on it. Avengers 162. I come upon Avengers 162 at the 
at the liquor store somewhere between May 17th and Star Wars opening because then we'd be gone and I would not frequent that liquor store other than maybe convincing my dad on the way home from school or or on the way home from church. Yeah, church, good luck. I mean, seriously. It would be be very difficult to get back in there. Avengers 162 has an epic cover. Ultron is at the center. It's drawn by Jack Kerb. Uh, It's drawn by George Perez, again, inked by Pablos Marcos, but it's got a very... Awesome, and this is the I say this in the highest possible way—a very Jack Kirby esque power to its layout. Ultron is standing front and center with his left arm; he is blasting Wonder Man, who is in full figure and screaming as the blast fills his chest under his neck. His face is screaming; his arms are flailing. His body has a giant Ultron's body has a giant ricochet on it because the hammer has been thrown directly at him and is ricocheted off the machinery to his left and over, uh, soaring into the logo above. Black Panther is reaching out, trying to get to Ultron as machinery is falling on him. Down bottom right is Thor, who has thrown the hammer, and then Iron Man is blasting Ultron's right arm across the page. So the four of them are battling Ultron. On the top of it, it says, this is it, the showdown with Ultron. And in a circle blurb, it says, the Avengers at war with the most indestructible, unstoppable menace of all. You guys, this worked. Let me tell you, when I I was shaking, shaking, holding this, I'm nine years old. I'm nine years old in, in, in May 1977. I could not believe that this 30 cent copy of Avengers existed. I, I was so excited. I cracked it open. Oh my gosh, it's Thor. Thor is arriving. That's all I needed to know. I purchased it. I ran home. I am going to tell you, I sprawled out across my bed, dropped the comic book on the floor, flipped those pages back and forth more times than I care to remember. My heart stopped. I was so in awe of the amazing power uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and drama that this comic book contained. Let me tell you about Thor. Thor was my favorite Avenger. I loved seeing Thor alongside Iron Man the best. If Captain America was in there, that's great too. But Thor and Iron Man together, because it was kind of that, this mythic, kind of old school, kind of medieval, you know, he's not medieval, but it's a more medieval weaponry. He holds an ancient hammer. He's a Viking warrior standing next to the, you know, the the very, you know, mechanically advanced armor and technological you know, warrior that Iron Man was. I, I love them. Everyone else assembling behind them was always fantastic and good. But when the, the Avengers was rocking, it's when Thor and Iron Man were together. No, Thor had not been in the book for a while. He had been missing for many, many issues, at least six, at least six issues, maybe more, seven issues. This was all part of a plot that would be addressed in the next year. Jim Shooter was planning planning his epic, planning his story out, planning his 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 Korvac saga. And part of it was this intermittent dropping in of Thor. And the important part was he would never quite tell you why he wasn't showing up. And sometimes it was clear that he didn't remember where he had been. Again, part of Jim Shooter's kind of breadcrumbs along the trail of what is this massive Korvac saga. And because of this element, it's part of it. It, this is part of this saga, part of the setting up of it. But on its own, we pick up, Thor is arriving. He is flying down. Ambulances are outside of Avengers Mansion. Detectives are outside. Um, uh, medical staff, nurses are loading Captain America and Scarlet Witch onto the ambulances. They're on their gurneys. Jarvis is yelling out to Thor as Thor 
descends onto the Avengers property. And he says, Jarvis says, Thor, thank heaven you're here. The others are inside. Forgive me if I don't announce you, sir. And the detectives are speaking to each other and they say, apparently a, uh, a severe neuroshock that killed the three human ones. The android, who can say? The one I'm going to miss the most is Cap. You are opening this. Crowds are trying to get past barriers. It's a, This entire thing is, is, a, is a bird's eye perspective pulled off brilliantly by George Perez. And, and again, right there, you're like, wait, the Avengers died? What I saw last issue was Avenger, Avengers got killed by Ultron? They're, they're calling out, like, why some of them are dead? The next page, Thor dramatically enters this amazing you know, room with all these tech walls that George Perez did so well. Wonder Man, who, if you didn't know, Wonder Man basically is Superman. He just doesn't fly. He has that ability of strength, speed, stamina. Um, and uh, Wonder Man is communicating, basically sending a message out to all the rest of the Avengers. Black Panther is positioned standing next to basically, well, let's call it a, 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 a semi-back-to-tank. Uh, you, would, you would recognize that visual imagery. For Iron Man, who is being kind of like powered up with all sorts of powers and wires. Um, and uh, Black Panther says, Thor, you're a welcome sight indeed. And then Black Panther recaps. Tony Stark, it's a great shot by George because you can see he's kind of leaning into the conversation. We see it from Tony's, you know, it's shot from Tony's shoulder. And he's looking, we, we look past him. He's surging with energy as Thor, Black Panther, and Wonder Man discuss. And Tony says, I'm going to be fine. Black Panther is helping recharge me, recharge my energy. I was totally drained. Panther recounts how they were attacked the episode, the issue before by Ant-Man, and then sneak attacked by Ultron. And then it says uh, they were all slain. It says Beast, Captain America, and Scarlet, which were slain by Ultron's Encephalo Beam. E-N-C-E-P-H-A-L, you know, Encephalo Beam. Uh, the same ray merely stunned Wonder Man and then... Black Panther basically says, I was just winged. And he says, uh, we have to get vengeance. Black Panther tells him three, um, the three that Ultron have killed require our vengeance. And Thor says, I am with thee till my death or his. When you're nine years old, that's a big deal. The God of Thunder has just proclaimed that he will help exact vengeance on Ultron for killing his, 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 uh, his comrades, his fallen Avengers. We then go to event, uh, Ultron's lab. Uh, Hank Pym is waking up. He sees Ultron. We see a naked Janet Van Dyne with bands covering her uh, chest area and her lower privates. And she is wired up to a mechanical woman who is named Jocasta. This is the bride of Ultron. Big, giant, three-quarters page scene. And Ultron is laying out his plan to Hank Pym and how Hank Pym is going to help him. And uh, Hank Pym is just completely stunned and George does a great uh on the far uh, on the next page on the following page George bottom three quarters of the page is a side sliver panel a uh, very long slender panel of Janet Van Dyme half you know half of her face and and then there's panels in between and on the other far right is half of Jocasta so contrasting that that one is going to become the other that they are each equal parts of each other that if you smash this 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 image together, it would make a full face that would be half Janet, half Jocasta. But um, Hank is 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 now of his own senses. He's not the madman he was in 161, and he uh, he's basically been been asked by Ultron to cover his work. And Ultron is basically like completely confiding in him, saying, "Doctor Pym, there's little time. If we do not begin soon, we have to do this transference." He wants to put all of Wanda's consciousness, download her 
brain, her consciousness, her being into Jocasta, and Jocasta will live, and Wanda will be siphoned, sucked, sucked dry, and be a lifeless corpse. So Hank has got his work cut out for him because Ultron is uh, monitoring his work and will kill him at any minute. And if he kills him, then he can't save his wife. Meantime, back at the Avengers Mansion, Thor and and Wonder Man are um uh are 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 kind of trying to plan their assault. <sighs> Wonder Man says he can't reach any other of the Avengers, and Wonder Man says to uh, to Thor, he says, um, you know, Hawkeye isn't anybody that we can rely on. Why why do we even worry about contacting him? He's like he's not worth our grief. It's it's clear that Wonder Man is kind of barely hanging on, barely keeping it together. On the roof of the mansion, Iron Man is trying to use his tracking device to get a trail, some sort of infrared trail that will allow him to follow where Ultron went. Meanwhile, Black Panther is um, kind of jumping across the skyline, swinging, swinging across the sky skyline, um, uh, debating that like Hank Pym created this terrible monster in Ultron that is now turned on his father and manipulated him. And he's talking about the classic literature of all with Oedipus and how Oedipus murdered his father and married his mother. So he's, he's shakes Jim Shooter's dropping some Shakespeare here. Um, and, and, and to, to, so that we understand the, the drama, but again, Hey man, you think I had heard of Oedipus before I read it's because comic books make us smarter, right? They do. So, Anyway, Black Panther is pondering what Ultron's possible plans could be given that he took Hank and Wanda. We go back to the lab. Um, just beautiful illustration. These faces of, of, of Ant-Man and, and Ultron. And uh, so Gene is fighting the transference. They are, Ultron is reveling and at last, at last, I will have a mate. And, and Ant-Man is like, uh, this phase is critical, Ultron. You know, I, I'm going to need you. And, uh, and he's struggling and J Janet is, and again, it's very vulnerable, naked under two metal bands as her transference, all the wires are going into Jocasta, Jocasta's arm, great storytelling by George. He, he, he slowly moves the camera in on her figure dwelling on her hand and her hand finally rises and moves. Jocasta has life and Ultron's like, she moves. My beautiful creation has been quickened by the spirit of my father's wife, but Janet is fighting it. And then, uh, Ant-Man tells Ultron, you've got to get back to work. You, you stop reveling here. I need you on the other, you know, machines to help stabilize this. Uh, Janet starts mumbling, I'm afraid, stop it. And and then she and Jocasta start talking back and forth to each other. It's very, very, very creepy. Jocasta is basically talking about stealing her, uh, absorbing her life force and, and in order to be with Ultron and, and being in this magnificent body of cyber, you know, superior cyber technology. Um, so Ultron is also believing and we see through his thoughts that the minute this is done he's killing he's killing Hank Pym so we return to Iron Man is canvassing the city trying to find Ultron he even says Ultron could be anywhere so again you've got Avengers that we have been identified to I as a young boy have been told Cap Scarlet Witch and Beast are dead and these last four Avengers and three of them are super po po powerful I mean it's got it, you, you've got the equivalent of Superman you've got Thor who's in that power range and then Iron Man who was in that power range Shooter knew exactly what he was doing and Black Panther who really has this is before like the Black Panther movie and, and the giving to him of the cyber technology and the extra strength Black Panther will acknowledge I'm just a man I'm just a man you know back at the headquarters Wonder Man is smashing machinery out of his frustration he's sick of waiting he says um, he goes uh, I can't believe that I couldn't stop Ultron I was created to defeat all of you Avengers single-handedly, which he was back in the early, like, Avengers 5, 3, 2, wherever um, 
issue eight, issue eight of Avengers is where he was created. Um, Thor then said, tells him to calm down. We need his strength. And then suddenly there, what gets in between them as, as Thor is trying to calm down a very raging Wonder Man, a bunch of ants fly by, disrupting both of their faces. And then Wonder Man braces for an attack. And then he says, wait, they're not attacking us. And then the ants spell out on the floor, Stark Limited, Stark, Stark Labs. And, and, and that's when they know, oh my gosh, Ultron is at an abandoned Stark laboratory. They immediately uh, contact Iron Man. He flies with Black Panther. Black Panther says to him, like, I don't know what help I'm going to be, you know? But while they're flying, and here's why Wonder Man is such a crucial part of this. As a kid, this resonated with me. I had never read any comic book character have this in his character, in his story arc. Thor is screaming, Avengers, assemble death to Ultron. Verily this night we shall avenge our slain comrades or taste death's bitter cup ourselves. Some sweet dialogue right there. Okay, that is some sweet script. Um, to which Wonder Man, his thought balloons say, as he's flying, flanking Thor behind him, I never even considered the possibility of dying. But, but Thor is serious. I know Thor is prepared to die. He expects to die tonight unless we win against a foe who he has already told me is invincible, a foe who has already killed four of our Avengers. And again, this will play out as they attack, which they do on the next page. Thor crashes through with his hammer, destroying an entire side wall of the labs. Black Panther drops through. Stealth-wise, he broke in. Iron Man then explodes another wall. And Ultron is surrounded by Iron Man, Black Panther, and Thor. And... uh He's like, it'll take more than the three of you to defeat me. And then Wonder Man crashes through the skylight above and says, make it four, Tin Head. And then Wonder Man's like, hey, Ultron's like, wait, I struck you with my Encelpho beam. You should be in a coma. And this is when Iron Man says, coma? And he goes, your comrades aren't dead, not yet, but they will die unless that effect is reversed. So now we know they're not dead because... The issue before, like when I said they took headshots, they very clearly showed these blasts going in their heads and out their heads. Like he was, he was striking their heads, and you know the headshots and and the way it was drawn. That's why, as a fan, you're like they're dead. So anyway, uh, Ultron's like, what a superb jest. Even though you now know you will die before your comrades do, Ant Man is trying to work the servers and the circuitry. And he's like, uh, you know, kind of starting to warn the Avengers. Uh, and then uh, Black Panther pauses and says, what if Hank summoned us here to kill us? That he's part of, he's in partnership with Ultron. So now that drops that doubt into my head. But then Perez is a great shot of Ultron, his full face. Because Ultron would blast these blasts from the center of his face. It blasts Iron Man again. Iron Man, or he blasts at Thor, and Iron Man jumps in between Thor and the blast and says, we can't afford to lose you. He drops Iron Man again for the second time in subsequent issues. Then Ultron's like, it's just you and me, Thor. And then Iron Man rises up and says, shove it, Ultron. This armor is made to take much worse than that. Now let's see if you can take it. And he unloads all of his repulsor beams, and it is a giant half-page shot of Ultron being blown back. Then Wonder Man and Thor charge him. And Wonder Man again says, this, this isn't as easy as I thought. I feel empty as I'm watching myself from the outside like I'm not really here. And, and he, he continues to espouse fear. Wonder Man is legit scared to die throughout this entire battle. Um, there's a great panel of Ultron 
literally knocking Thor and Wonder Man back. And you, as a fan, know how powerful both these characters are. So you're blown away. Oh my gosh, Ultron is so powerful. Black Panther approaches Ant-Man and says, I can help you. Let me, I, I'm no good in that battle. Let me help you. And, and Ant-Man is, is, is losing his mind again, uh, rambling that he needs to finish the process. Janet is crying out that she's so weak. That, and Joe, while Jocasta is saying the transfer is almost complete, Perez has Janet sweating. Um, her, 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 her hair is all flopped in front of her face. It's clear this is taking its toll on her. And so Black Panther says, I've got to take him out. Black Panther just fly kicks into Hank and knocking his helmet off, takes him out. In the meantime, Wonder Man with his Superman strength is powering, pounding Ultron, who, if I haven't mentioned already, is made of adamantium. His entire body is Wolverine's claws. I should have mentioned that at the outset. Ultron is made of an indestructible armor, uh, 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 you know, alloy. Uh, Wonder Man goes, what's wrong with me? I'm fighting different. Why is this, this, this so different than before? He says, is it because the stakes are so high? Because Ultron actually hurt me? And, and this is it. And he goes, and is it because I'm afraid that he's going to kill me this time? Because Wonder Man was brought back to the dead several issues earlier again. So he is really um, dealing with the fact that I was dead for years and just now tasted life again. I don't want to get, and he says, I don't want to die again. So his hesitancy cost him as Ultron just throttles him with a blast, blasting him back. Ultron is then struck by Thor's hammer and Ultron mocks him that your, your hammer, your mightiest blows can't stop me. Iron Man is fully recovered and he and uh, Thor continue to unleash their, their their blasts on Ultron. Ultron flies into Wonder Man. Then we have this great shot where Thor has crawled onto Ultron and is and has put his hammer underneath his neck and is basically trying to rip his head off with with holding the hammer on both sides while while Ultron is pummeling Wonder Man beneath him. And he says, uh, uh, "Though the two of us cannot harm him, we have enough to hold him down." Thor implores Wonder Man. Well. This is getting towards the end of the issue. I'm running out of pages, okay? Then Ultron sees that Iron Man has taken Jocasta off the platform and he has his blasters up to her face. He is holding Jocasta, who still has wires, who is still, you know, connected to the machines. And he says, this thing isn't Jan Van Dyne. This isn't Janet Pym. This isn't the Wasp. She goes, I'll kill her right now. I'll end her. Uh, release and, and, and wake up our friends from their comas or Jocasta is over. And... Ultron says, I'm not going to be bluffed into submission. You would not sacrifice your own. Surely you would not. And then he realizes Iron Man's not bluffing. And he's like, no, do not harm my woman. I will tell you what you need. And then it says minutes later, and you see Ultron flies up through the roof and out. And uh, Ultron says, you will all pay dearly for this victory, in quotes, today, Avengers. And then Hank uh, Wonder Man is relieved and says, thank God it's over. I have to tell you, I was, I, I, I was, this is exact dialogue. And Thor says, you did well, Avengers. Uh, he, he said, thou didst well, Avenger. We can speak of this later. Hank is being, is still crazy and held down by Black Panther. Iron Man is looking to reverse all of the effects on Jan. The last page, Jan is coming off the platform. She has been restored. Tony Stark uh, used all his knowledge, overrode the technology, healed Janet Van Dyne. Ant-Man looks at, Want, want, uh, uh, Janet Hank Pym says with a disgusted look on his face you murderous scum Ultron will come back he will come back to free me and then I will destroy all of you this is the seeds of what is going to happen in the years to come in the mid 80s when 
Hank completely loses his mind. It's all right here. It all started right here. It ends with them uh, thrilled. You know, basically they, they they grabbed victory from the jaws of defeat. Black Panther speaks that, uh, uh, you know, the, the the bottom line is uh, that that they that they aren't sure who sent the ants to warn them in the first place, and because Hank is so out of control, and uh, who could have sent a thought to send those impulses to those insects to to, to 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 reach the Avengers and help them? And they're all looking at Jocasta, and it says Iron Man called Ultron's creation a thing that wasn't really Jan, but in her in her brief half living existence, perhaps Jocasta was more human like Jan, than Ultron ever expected. And uh, that is the end of these in ridiculous, my favorite issues of the Avengers ever, seeing the most powerful Avengers, Wonder Man, Iron Man, Thor, assemble against an indestructible foe. And look, it, it, it ended in a stalemate. Iron Man did what he had to do. He took Jocasta, he threatened her life. Ultron stood down and would return in a year to torment the Avengers. Trust me, the sequel to this is fantastic. But this is... Thor arriving, the Avengers seemingly dead, Black Panther realizing, I can't do much here in this situation, so he focuses on Hank and takes Hank out, and then the fight to save Janet from being completely downloaded into this brand new female Ultron, and again, seeing Wonder Man and his his complete hesitation because he believes that he is going to die, moved me deeply. This riveted me. It I became obsessed with this comic. I put this comic in a special drawer in my room, in my in my closet, so that it would not be disturbed. This comic carries with me to the new house. It goes to the new house in Trident. That summer, I take it out intermittently and revisit it because that's what we do with our old comics, right? We we we, we revisit them. We we want to look at those panels, look at how we felt, look at those moments, dwell on them because we are so. Just our connection with these characters is so strong and so powerful and so resonant. And so what happens is that I take this to the Trident house. I get settled into my new room. I told you it was my favorite room that I had. And what happens is I take it out to our family room where our, our newly, you know, our brand new family room and our brand new house. And I'm with our, our spanking new color TV and there are, are a new sofa set. And there's a nice table in between the two sofas. And I made the mistake of leaving this Avengers on that table. Well, my mother loved Pepsi more than life itself. She, people would joke that, um, they thought that there was a a Pepsi delivery service that would be delivering Pepsi to our house in the same way that milkmen would deliver milk. And yes, back in the day, everyone listening to this, there was a milk service. It was called the milkman. He could deliver, um, six jars of milk to your house every week this happened and, and and again this is in this is the same summer that star wars came out so this isn't that archaic but he wore an all-white shirt so whenever you see someone recalling the milkman and a milk truck with a cow on it that was real we we had a milk delivered to our house occasionally it wasn't something that we were really we didn't subscribe regularly to but it happened a couple of times and it was always fun and exciting people joked that my mom's addiction to pepsi not coke do not try and give my mom coke not, not Coke the drug, Coca-Cola, the other drug. Don't give her Coca-Cola products. She was not interested. She loved Pepsi. She had a small but very big kind of half glass, like a giant shot glass that she would drop a bunch of ice into and she would pour intermittently. And she liked her Pepsi to fizz with that ice and get have a certain 
mixture of melted water with the soda and knock it back. Everybody here knows you, you, uh, you're, everyone has different ice allocations for their soda drinks. I am the same way. I like to fill mine with ice, put the Sprite or the Mountain Dew in it, and let it settle for a little while, let it melt. I don't like to go immediately in for just pure soda. I like a little of that ice to melt. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you're a no ice guy. No ice people fascinate me. I don't understand the no ice people. Trust me, Patty Liefeld needed rice cubes in that jar, in that, in that, that kind of thick twice up shot glass. Well, much to my horror, I came out that afternoon to find that the shot glass had been used as a coaster. Uh, that, that my Avengers 161 was functioning as a coaster for the shot glass, which had been long emptied. The melting ice was all that was left in it and a giant wet, thick, ring of water had settled on my beautiful Avengers 162. Uh, I flipped out. I, I started to kind of, you know, yell at my mom and she looked at me like, you aren't yelling at me over a comic book. And I re immediately realized this is not going to go well for me. I just need to take the L. I need to get this comic book and try and preserve it immediately. I ran it into the room. I grabbed my mom's blow dryer into, into, into the bathroom, uh, her, her, her bathroom with the blow dryer, and I, and, I, and I put it on cool, and I tried to dry it, which I did, but it had the crinkly now, a thick crinkly ring, breaking my heart. I uh, probably, there was 10 minutes before me running out to the garage, jumping on the bike, and going up the three blocks to Utotem to look for the Avengers copy, which was not there. They did not carry it. I then peeled off and went back those three blocks to my house, then up two more blocks, crossed the street to Foodland, and on that spinner rack was another copy of Avengers 162. I have never bought a comic faster in my life. Avengers 162, I purchased it. I I, I put it again in the sleeve of my, I had a sleeve on my, uh, on my bike down below, uh, I used to put folders or school stuff in there, but this is for comics. Boom. Carried it home. Had it. Had two copies. Had two copies. I would mourn the loss of the original copy with the ring around it. The one that I just brought out and shared with you is my, uh, you know, the one that I have inherited and carried with me since then. The Foodland copy is what I took out of the Mylar. And it's in great condition. It still remains in great condition because then I basically put it like under house arrest. I, I, I kind of had its own imaginary secret service protecting this, my most favorite comic book of my life up to that point. Okay. You know, you, you go, you start at seven at nine years old. You, 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 you read what you know to be a perfect comic. You cherish that. So the ring around the comic, I decide I would loan to my friend the ring around the Ultron. The, the, the wet, dried, now crunk, crinkly, and you know, if you have this story, let me know. If something like this happened to you, if your mother saw your comics as coasters, you have to let me know this. You have to, let, you know, share this with me online, you know, wherever we, we talk. And, uh, and long story short, I loaned that to my friend Nathan with a bunch of other comics. And if I haven't mentioned it before, I, I put them in a bag. And uh, after about a few weeks, I went to get them from Nathan Doney, and I was met at the door by his mother, the lovely Mrs. Anna Lee Doney. And Anna Lee looked at me and said, we don't have your comics anymore, Robbie. Those are from the devil, and they were thrown in the trash. 
Oh my gosh, I almost, like literally, I staggered back. What is going on here? How could Mrs. Doney have thrown my comic books away? They weren't hers. And she goes, and if you have a problem with that, let your parents know so that I can talk to them. And it was that whole, like, I'm going to throw my authority around, kid, you punk-ass little nine-year-old. You're not coming over here and scolding me for throwing your comic books, those little demonic comic books you gave to my sweet son, Nathan. Nathan was my best friend, and those comics were gone. And on that ride home, I've never been happier to have the one single copy that I was able to grab. And that was the good Lord saying, you need to get another copy. Your mom is not only going, she's going to smite this copy with her mighty Pepsi glass. And she is going to put a giant circular wet ring on it. And you are going to lose that. But that is the one that you will lend to your friend because you want him to have the passion that you have. But the new copy that you were able to obtain from Foodland because of the wet ring is the one that you will put into the witness protection program. And you will carry it to your podcast when you are 54 and you will speak of it then. That is the circle of life that this Avengers 162 travel with me. I still have it. I will be putting it back into its mylar shortly. But that May 1977 was complete elation at my favorite comic store ever, comic story ever, and my favorite Avengers issue, period. And also the, the drama of the disregard for these precious items that our parents would view as coasters. And then other parents threw them away because they were... Uh, invoking the devil. So yeah, it, it, it took me some time to recover from the trauma of, of what happened with Avengers 162. And again, I do not tell you lightly how much I love that book. I truly, you know, all these years later, seek it out, look at it. Um, it was reprinted in a really handsome collection uh, that Marvel put out around the time that they did Avengers Age of Ultron, the movie. And uh, it's... Uh, Marvel Premier Classic Hardcover Volume Number 104, Avengers, The Bride of Ultron. And it really, it it gives you all the pertinent kind of, uh, you know, uh, episodes that I just recounted to you about, about Ultron and Jocasta and the issues that were right before and then the issues right after. And uh, I, I just, I revisit this story so often. I just love, again, the depiction, mostly of Thor and Iron Man and Wonder Man, these three, the top tier Avengers who were left standing and Black Panther, who's, you know, made it his mission to take out Hank Pym, as I mentioned. But uh, Ultron has always been my favorite of the Avengers bad guys. He was the most um, fierce and most frightening. And again, there's a sequel to this story that I do love. I just don't love it as much as this. Again, the prominence of Thor arriving on that first page and Jarvis saying, they're all gone, sir. And the others are inside. I, I, I don't know that I can announce you. And then, boom, Thor going in, teaming up, taking on Ultron. And then the disregard again, the, the, it became a coaster for my mom's, uh, you know, Pepsi drinks. And then here's the deal. I told you that there is two, two comics I was going to talk to you about today. And, and I am, and that second comic came about as a result of that ring around the cover created by the big giant Pepsi glass, uh, that my mom decided to, you know, uh, uh, put on my precious Avengers 162. Well, because as I said, uh, after I dried it and it was a crinkly ring, it was a crinkly circle that was just like, oh my gosh. And again, condition of comics wasn't, I mean, there certainly wasn't any grading. There wasn't slabbing. There was, there, there was no like 6050. No one knew that there, there was, there was some, uh, I'd seen in the, in the bookstore, the beginning of these 
buyer's guides that I was aware of. They had been around, but so mint, near mint. I got that. I just wanted a nice copy. I wanted my clean copy. I didn't want my, you know, wet, crinkle, dried up donut ring on my on my comic book. So as I said earlier, I went to Foodland. They had Avengers 162. That's the one that I was able to preserve, even though I lost the crinkled one to uh, the Donies and, and her, you know, ridding her house of the of the the, the, the demonic influence of, of Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> there was a bunch of others. There was Legion of Superheroes in there. There was there was some X-Men. There was some Fantastic Four. It was brutal. It took me a long time to replace all those because, again, they didn't have comic book stores. I was just lucky that it happened within a few weeks and that because comics hung around on the newsstand, again, distribution becomes your enemy here. So I was fortunate that Foodland had a copy of Avengers 162. So check this out. When I go get that copy of Avengers 162, what is staring me in the face as well? It is the second book that, and I had no idea they came out on the same day until again, I'm following Rack Spinner slash the Spinner Rack on Twitter, that handle. And I, I, I discovered it a couple of years ago because they, 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 they go around, you know, every year and they continue to post uh, no matter what the day and the year is that they'll tell you what's out at that time. These came out May 17th of 1977. Defenders 50. Defenders 50. I believe this is a Dave Cockrum cover, uh, maybe inked by Al Milgram, but it is a anniversary issue. Defenders 50 has Moon Knight, Nighthawk, Valkyrie, the Hulk, and Hellcat. And they are standing there about to face off against the Zodiac. And it says war against the Zodiac. So this is, uh, so I have my beat up copy, my, my crinkly Mylar copy. You can you can hear hear the the mylar. This thing is minty good. I'm not going to risk taking it out. I actually got a refreshed copy of this about eight years ago. But Defenders 50 is my single favorite issue of the Defenders. So how is it the, my my favorite issue of the Avengers and my favorite issue of the Defenders came out on the exact same day? And I was able to discover the Defenders a few weeks after I discovered this Avengers issue because of the damage done to my Avengers 162. So I go and I grab this Defenders 50-50. You know, it's an anniversary issue because it says fantastic 50th issue. How cool, right? It opens with this amazing splash page of the Hulk real tight on his face. And immediately I recognize because I'm buying, I'm buying all the Jack Kirby stuff that's out at the time. Eternals, Captain America, Devil Dinosaur, um... I am buying all Jack Kirby stuff. I recognize this as being heavily Kirby influenced, but how do I say this? So, so, so Keith Kiffin penciled and inked this issue. One of the rare times I saw him do both. And this is like a new wave Jack Kirby. It's like new wave. That's how I, it's like, it had sensibilities. If you can call 1977 sensibilities, fresh and new, but on top of the kind of old classic Jack Kirby look. And, uh, and Hulk is facing off against this newfangled Zodiac. And as would be Keith Giffen's um, kind of calling card, he had re redesigned all of the Zodiac characters. They, are, they originally uh, were villains that I believe debuted in the Avengers um, in, in, in the late 60s. But he has redesigned them, and they're rad. It's Leo, it's Sagittarius, it's Aquarius, it's Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, uh, the Aries... Libra. And uh, these are amazing. These are absolutely amazing designs. And uh, Hulk starts just battling them. Now, I told him, I told you this was also part of a, of a story. There, the Zodiac story had been building up since Defenders 48. Moon Knight had come in. Kirby, uh, sorry, Keith Giffen doing his Jack Kirby had also illustrated that issue. 
But because Keith is, is just wickedly inking himself in this issue, the visuals, again, are freaking amazing. I've never seen the Defenders look better. I, I have never enjoyed them more as I pour over this issue. His depiction of Moon Knight is fantastic. Again, New Wave, Jack Kirby. Nick Fury is in this. Valkyrie, Hellcat, Moon Knight, Nighthawk. And look, here's the deal. It's just an all-out battle against Zodiac. It doesn't have the same kind of soap opera pathos that, uh, that, that, that the Avengers had. This is just a damn good Marvel balls-to-the-walls kind of it had been building up to the Zodiac showdown and now you've got the Defenders which which is led by Hulk who is single-handedly looking like for the first eight pages taking out the entire Zodiac team Moon Knight jumps in Nighthawk has been restrained he is in these um uh metal restraints he breaks through again total Kirby energy great layouts killer just the finishes are really really great I mean Keith Giffen would go on to be a giant uh superstar throughout his multi-year run on the Legion of Superheroes. That's really where he hung his um his 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 uh his popularity and where people became, you know, crazy about him. But he was dancing all over different assignments while he was at Marvel early on. And this uh brief Defenders run is is one of my favorites. Pages sixteen and seventeen is my is a double page spread of Hulk, Nighthawk, Moon Knight Valkyrie and uh, Hellcat. And Valkyrie doesn't have her sword. She's wielding a giant like piece of like shrapnel as her weapon. Hulk is charging us with his two fists. Nighthawk is flying over his head. Moon Knight is flying over Valkyrie over on the left. Hellcat is positioned further left. And uh, by Hela's ghost, let us now demonstrate why we are known as the Dynamic Defenders. Again, Hulk is really the only original defender in this grouping. The others, Doctor Strange, Submariner, Silver Surfer are nowhere to be found. So it's this new age of Defender, again, with 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 uh, Hellcat, who came from the pages of the Avengers, and with Moon Knight. And uh, I just, again, after this double pager, it continues with this complete, it's a non-stop, like, there's action and throwdown on every single page. There's very little, you know, room for anyone to stop and chat. It is, it is immediately they are engaged against all of the different Zodiac, and 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 they're 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 switching. Uh, Leo is battling Hellcat, and um, you know, the the uh, uh, Libra is battling Moon Knight, and it's just all of these different characters are facing off. It's just wall to wall, killer, killer, killer action. Um, Valkyrie is is facing off against Sagittarius, who looks wicked. These redesigns that Keith did, which they didn't hold on to. I, I don't know why they didn't. They should have. These are my favorite versions of the Zodiac characters and again i mean you've just got you've got moon knight and 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 uh and and nighthawk teaming up to take down Ares and 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 throwing him into the wall and and it's just again every page i'm 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 into like page 24 25 26 27 just bam bam hits kicks battles and in the meantime you've got uh uh, you, you, you've got Nick Fury facing off with the leader of the Zodiac, and they're establishing that they're they have a their their family, their brothers. And in the end, it it, it would appear that uh, you know that 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 Nick Fury's brother kills himself, and that's the end of the story. And uh, you know, it's just I I just at the end it says special art assist thank you to Mike Royer who was a dedicated Jack Kirby inker to Dave Cockrum ooh I'm gonna have to go back and check out where I can see some Dave Cockrum finishes and inks um 
and then uh, and, and another inker named John Tartaglione. So I guess towards the end, Keith did not ink as much, but certainly throughout this entire issue, it's a very unique, very specific look that he had been developing on the Defenders, like 48, 49, uh, and issue 50. And uh, other issues, he was inked by Klaus Janssen, which Klaus had a very heavy, uh, not, not heavy in a bad way, a very polished finish that he was able to put on people. Uh, look, this Defenders 50 was just like, wow. And I got to be honest, it went for, following this, the Defenders had a lot of fill-in issues. Uh, different different artists, uh, it, it really jumped around. Ed Hannigan, Sal Buscema. Um, there was an issue that was a few pages by Michael Golden, a few pages by Keith Giffen, a few pages by Dave Cockrum. Uh, it, it really started to bounce. Herb Trimpey, the Defenders, Don Perlin. Okay, I'm, I'm giving you all these names because they really went through a um, round table, a, a merry-go-round of artists. And this Defenders 50 is the culmination. Like I said, it's a culmination of a saga, of a story uh, by David Anthony Kraft, illustrated by, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Keith Giffen. And it's just raw power, raw action. The Defenders, uh, with the exception of Hulk, the rest of these characters, Nighthawk, Valkyrie, Moon Knight, Hellcat, were on the C-list for Marvel. But standing next to Hulk in this issue uh, against Zodiac, who are kind of like C-list vi villains... It was fantastic, and 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 this comic book, I just hold it in the absolute highest of regards, just because of the pure action and fury, and 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 the kind of the real, like I said, I, I'm going to say it again for the umpteenth time, this new wave Kirby approach that Giffen brought to these characters. So so Avengers 162, badass action-packed conclusion, full of drama and pathos, and all sorts of you know really dire like. I mean, the Avengers, you thought they were dead. Then you find out, oh my gosh, he's got, he's, Ultron's got them in comas. And then to pivot to this Defenders issue, the same day that I go get my, go get my replacement copy and have this Defenders issue, which again, uh, this janky copy is on my spinner rack. It's always here for me to flip through. My really nice Defenders 50 is in the Mylar. But uh, this Defenders 50th issue is, is like I said, issues 48, 49, 50 are a really tight little story arc with the Zodiac, which brings Moon Knight into the group. And... Uh, it's it's just a it's it's a blast and and as far as anniversary issues go, I mean between the splash page and the double page splash alone, I mean that double page splash of the defenders is like uh it's like a poster. It, it it should be on the wall. It's so great. It's uh really early on in his career, Dave uh sorry Keith Giffen just nailed it and and Defenders fifty and Avengers one sixty two came out in the same day, May seventeenth, nineteen seventy seven. Couldn't have made my summer any better. I'm sure that you guys have stories like this. I'm sure you have comic books that you hold in the highest possible regard that you revisit time and again. Maybe they got compromised by your own mother who put her drink on them, used them as coasters, uh, used them to wipe up messes, maybe threw them away. Uh, you know, it's, it, that, that's that's the beauty of being a kid and, and your parents not quite understanding uh, the importance. Again, this is before going to comic stores and my mom and my dad would see kind of the investment that I was making into these getting bags and boards. And, and so, again, I think just buying them off the spinner rack and bringing them home, they just intrinsically... Parents looked at them and like, there's no value here. You, you read it, you're done. You're oh, it's over. They, they they didn't understand that they would like take our souls and feed our souls with these amazing stories. And so that summer '77 will be again so rich to me because also then we pivot immediately into Star Wars, which becomes my go-to everything. And then that fall, John Byrne comes on uh, the X Men to start his multi-year run that runs all the way through 1980. And, the, and again, between John Byrne and George Perez, uh, 
it, they just created so much excitement at Marvel Comics. I mean, they were the Shaq and the Kobe, the MJ, the Scottie Pippen, the LeBron, Dwayne Wade. I mean, they were the uh, the the they were the Joe Montana, the Jerry Rice. I can go into all the different sports and keep giving you examples. I mean, the two of them kind of ran Marvel Comics and did all of the primary kick-ass uh, team books: Avengers, X Men, Fantastic Four. Alpha Flight of, of the of the period and the team up books Marvel team up Marvel two and one, so the, these two comics Defenders fifty, Avengers one sixty two just are so beloved to me, and I figured why not take a walk down memory lane why not talk about the drama if one sixty two doesn't get compromised I don't run to Foodland to get a replacement copy and also go oh hey, uh this Defenders fifty looks awesome I had been buying sporadic issues of the Defenders the the distribution on that book was a lot spottier. We would go on road trips and I'd, you know, get a Defenders annual or I'd get a different uh, Defenders issue, like I think 36 maybe with, with Nebulon. Don't quote me on that. But I, I loved it, but I wasn't getting it as regularly as I would have preferred to. Shortly after this, Defenders, I think because it was selling better, it was ordered more by all the stores in my area. And, and, and the reason I know everything that came after was because they were covered a lot heavier. But 50, I think, was really the breaking point to to surging the defenders in sales and getting it, getting them back up there. It was really exciting, very um, visually compelling. When I talk to people about Defenders 50, the first thing, everyone just goes in to how much they love that art, that version that, that, of Kirby that Giffen was giving us. But that summer was precious. Those memories are so crystal clear to me. And uh, again, then, like I said, from June, July, August, it was Star Wars every Saturday and Sunday multiple times. It was my babysitter. So those are really rich memories. Those are really rich times. I'd love to know what summers are, are that to you. What summers maybe combine all manner of different pop culture, comic books, a great movie, a great, you know, uh, experience, maybe a great convention experience. This was certainly before I could go to conventions or even knew that comic book stores can were, were, were something. I didn't even know about comic book stores till 1980. Um, and, and didn't, you know, really start visiting them until the late latter part of 1980. So they're years off in my youth at this time. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this very special edition of Observations as we, we I, I took you on this very specific kind of love affair I have with these comics and, and explained to you why. I, I'm confident that if you, comic fan, comic listener, were to crack these books, you'd see the the appeal. You'd see the the splash pages, the energy, the action. Um, in both of them, they're fantastic. And again, the, the, uh, my my favorite Avengers is when Thor stood alongside Iron Man, and, and they were never better and more heroic and more valiant than in 162. And I mean, Defenders 50 is just balls to the wall, fantastic. Thank you again, as always, for listening to this episode. We share your guys' reviews at the end of each and every episode. You guys are so generous with the reviews and the um, the comments that you are leaving on our, our our platforms. They help us stand out in ways that you don't even know. We have such um, great word of mouth, such great buzz. You guys have given us such great feedback and I appreciate it so much. What I do at the end of these episodes is I read to you the comments that are left for the show. And if you leave us a review and, 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 and uh, share your energy and your passion for the show, I am happy to read them as I do at the end of every episode. Today, I am going to read to you from Phil George, Big Phil George. He comes to us from Great Britain. He wrote just a few days ago, Infectious Comic Book Nostalgia. I'll take it. He gives us five stars. He says, Dear Rob, thank you for your podcast. I was an avid consumer of yours and your peers in the late 80s and the early 90s. 
but as I hit my teens, I moved around a lot and I lost touch with comic book collecting. Since listening to your pod, I have rekindled my love of comics. And thanks to your, oh my gosh, he's so generous, infectious, <laughs> I, I love the word infectious. Thanks to your infectious joy in sharing your favorites, I have found new ones that I had never even thought to consume all those years ago. Thank you for being a positive voice in my life during a couple of dark years. Please continue to let the Bronco buck, he says, in quotes, as I could listen to you talk about comic books forever. Well, you are far too kind, Big Phil George. I am so happy that this podcast has given you guys uh, some 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 juice and some passion. Uh, I, I was out on, 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 on doing several different comic book stores and, and so many people have told me uh, stories that are similar to this. And you guys, I'm just so glad that, that my sharing of comics has rekindled your own passion. Thank you so much for sharing that. You guys, you leave those reviews. You share your passion with me. I will share them here on our episodes as they, uh, as they air Tuesdays and Fridays. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. You know that I am all over social media on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, the whole name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Robert. I have a blue check. That means I'm real. Uh, I'm not a phony. And so we can talk, chat. I love your DMs. I love your um, mentions. I love talking to you guys back and forth on Twitter. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld, R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I have another blue check there. Tells you that I'm the real guy. That's my life I'm posting. Uh, you can talk to me, DM me. I love sharing with you guys, talking to you guys and all the different comments. I love your messages. Thank you so much for interacting with me. This page, Observations with Rob Liefeld, has a dedicated page at Facebook. You can look at look us up there. I'm, I, I think they are starting a new policy where we can't upload the episodes directly to Facebook. We, we can talk there. So leave comments, leave likes. Um, I will look and find you. Um, I am all over Facebook. I have all different groups. I have a uh, public characters domain group. That's what it's called, public I'm sorry, public domain characters. I have the Rob Liefeld and Extreme group, which we have gathered thousands of terrific fans that we all share and talk comics. So find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, find me on Rob uh, on Instagram. I've given you guys my handles. I love sharing and, and, and all the feedback and all the talking that we are able to do, the, the conversations that we can have online. Thank you all so much. Here is the time of the show that I ask you to take care of yourself. I ask you to take care of yourself emotionally, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Um, is that right? Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, if you can. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy a good book, a good comic book. Watch some great shows. Have fun with your family and friends. That's what life's about. T take time to unplug and just enjoy and, and refocus. Um, you got to take a time out from now, from, from, from time to time, and I hope that that is something that you are capable of doing. Make sure that you swing by and find us here again because I'm going to be waiting for you and we will most certainly talk again real soon.